Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, we, we are right in the middle of a series. So uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have been walking through the book of Hebrews. And we have uh, talked about how the author's main objective, his, his, his purpose in writing the book, is trying to convince some early, early Hebrew believers not to go back into their Old Testament faith, their Old Covenant faith underneath the law, but instead to continue to trust in Jesus. And so this morning, we're actually, it's great as the author stops for a few chapters and he talks about something that's super important not just for the believers at this time, but especially for us. And I'm excited to be able to, to talk with you this morning about that. But before we do that, can I pray for us as we go into this time of listening to God's word? Father, we just ask that you would teach us and say to us this morning what you desire to. God, again, that you would move me out of the way and that it would be your word, it would be your Holy Spirit that would speak to our hearts, that would move us into places that you want to move us. God, help us to hear and help us to respond with faith and with obedience. Father, we love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if I was to ask you and say, hey, let's say you have a pickup game of football that you're playing, and maybe this is, you know, Thanksgiving. Everybody loves to play football at Thanksgiving, right? And you're playing, and you've got a family, and you've got friends, and you guys have divided out the teams, and let's say your team's not doing so well. Maybe your family member, I don't know if it's maybe a dad or if it's an uncle or a brother, the quarterback isn't helping very well. His passes aren't quite hitting. They aren't quite connecting. Um, and then in walks Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chief. He's like, hey, guys, can I play? I'm sure your answer is not going to be, no, thanks, Pat. We appreciate that, but we're having a great game here. Hey, by the way, great game the other day as well, right? You're probably not going to do that. You're going to be like, you know, you know, whoever gets him on their team is going to have the advantage, right? Well, this morning, I want to show you from chapters four through seven of Hebrews, we're going to cover a lot of territory, but from those, those few chapters, I want to show you the advantage that Jesus gives us as our great high priest. So we're going to be in chapter, we're going to start in chapter four, the end of that chapter, verse 14. And then we're going to work our way through a couple of these chapters. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All right, now kind of keep your place there, but flip over a couple of chapters. We're going to be in chapter 7, starting in verse 26. 
So just kind of flip over a couple of pages. Verse 26, chapter 7. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he was offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Okay, so three things that I want to make sure that we understand. We're going to kind of step back with me. We're going to go whoop, back into the Old Testament real quick, all right? And we're going to try to understand some things about the priests, okay? Now, if you're coming from a Catholic background, you might think when I say the word priest, you might think of the priest that you grew up with or the priest that you uh, went to church with for a little while. And I want you to understand, while there are some similarities, the Old Testament priests are, are vastly different in other areas, okay? And there's two primary ones that are different. The first is how they got that role, and the second is exactly what that role entailed, what they did, okay? So I want to make sure that we understand those things from the priestly line. But to even understand that, we kind of got to take it a step further. Now, God is holy. What that means is that God is unlike anything or anything else. In other words, the word holy actually means to be set apart, to be different, to be distinct. And this is about God's morality. He is morally perfect and different than us. You might remember that none of us have that. We don't bear morality perfectly because our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, and after them, none of us have been able to fit the bill, right? None of us have been perfect. And so we have this thing called sin that mars us, and it actually separates us from being with God because God is holy and God, because God is perfect. His standard is perfection, and because we don't fit that bill, we cannot be with him. We are separated from him because of our sin. But God in his mercy established a way in the Old Testament for his people to be able to come into his presence. And so what he did, he started what's called the sacrificial system. So sin always, always, always requires death. The judgment for sin is death. And so instead of God taking out on his people who were the ones who d deserved his righteous judgment. Instead, he offers the system where they could come and they could bring an animal to sacrifice in their place. But it wasn't just the people who brought the animal before God. God made a special group of people that he set apart called the priests. The priests were set apart to be able to bring the offerings before God to sacrifice them. But they were from a special tribe. Again, I told you they were a little bit different than than our Catholic priests, and the fact that they come from a special tribe, only people from the lineage of Levi, Aaron was one of those, he's the very first one, only the Levites were allowed to be priests. So you had to be from that family to be able to be a priest, but they were the ones who were the in-betweens. They were the mediator between God and his people, okay? Now, there's another set of priests that's extremely important, and this was the high priest. The high priest had one job, one job. And his job was on the Day of Atonement in the Hebrew. It's called Yom Kippur. It's actually, ironically, next Sunday would be the day that they would be celebrating it. I looked that up. Next Sunday, Yom Kippur, they would go in and they would sacrifice an animal for the entire community's sin. It was the high and, highest and holiest of days for the Hebrew people. 
when the high priest would go in and sacrifice. Now, where he would sacrifice is extremely important. So in the temple or the tabernacle, there was a couple of different places. You had the holy place where the priests could minister before the Lord, but then there was the holiest of holies. And only one time a year was the high priest allowed to go in there, and that was on the Day of Atonement. He would go in, and he would make the sacrifice for the people there in the holies of holies. Now, the holy of holies is where they believed that God's presence rested because the Ark of the, the, the Covenant was there in the tabernacle for them. And that's where they believed God's presence rested as the Hebrew people, okay? All right, one more priest that we got to understand. So we've got priests, we've got high priest, and we've got one more, and that's Melchizedek. That's a tongue twister. Melchizedek, that's hard to say. But Melchizedek is actually a priest who predates the sacrificial system. He comes before any of the stuff I just told you. He comes before that, and here's what happened. You remember Abraham, the father of faith? He's told by God to go into the land. He's gonna, he said, I'm, I want you to go into this land. I'm going to lead you to it. So Abraham is doing that. He's following God, being obedient. That's why he's called the father of faith. But on the way, he takes his nephew Lot. Well, Lot gets into a little bit of a skirmish, okay? A, a little battle with some kings. And so he's in this battle, and he's in trouble. And Abraham, which Abraham continued to do, he, would, he rescued him. And so as he's rescuing him, he's coming back to kind of his home, kind of tired, kind of wore out with all of his men. They've just rescued Lot. And out walks this king priest named Melchizedek. That's an important thing. He's a king and he's a priest. He's the king of Salem, but he's also a priest of the Lord Most High. Again, this predates any of the, the sacrificial system. Okay? And so he comes out, he makes a, an offering and a sacrifice for Abraham, and then he gives his men some, some wine and some bread. And then Abraham gives a tenth of everything that he has. He gives it to Melchizedek to say thank you, okay? So all that we got to keep in context is we're going to step into these chapters, okay? So let's go back and let's look at chapter 4. I want to look at verse 15, so let's look there. So it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that the author of Hebrews makes this really strong point that Jesus is God. But as God, the thing that's unfortunate for us is that that doesn't help us in our humanity, right? We're still separated from God because of our sin, and so that doesn't help us in our humanity. But we also said that Jesus wasn't just fully God, he's also fully human. And that's what this passage is saying. He's fully human, so he can understand. He humbled himself, took on flesh like you and me, became like one of us, so that he could understand the things that we go through. Every temptation that you've ever experienced, he also has been tempted by. Maybe not the exact same one. Maybe he didn't have a cell phone, right? But similar temptations, they're all the same. The enemy uses all the same tricks. Right? He has nothing new up his sleeve. And Jesus was tempted in every way just like you and I. Let me give you some examples, right? So he's, he's tempted with pride because as he's doing all these miraculous things and hearing the applause and the approval of man, I'm sure that tempted him. Or, or whenever he's tempted with impatience because the Pharisees come up and they're asking these questions that are just absolutely obnoxious. And Jesus is like, Oh, right? 
He's tempted with patience and impatience, I mean. He's tempted with depression. He's been at a place where all of his friends have abandoned him. And he's been all by himself, isolated and alone. So he's gone through everything that we could even think to have gone through. He has experienced it. In 2017, August 2017, many of you probably remember this, we had one of the worst hurricanes uh, in the Houston area come through, Hurricane Harvey. And I remember we had just moved into our Katy house. I mean, just weeks before, right? And we're listening to the weather report. We're watching as the rain keeps kind of coming, make it circles around and around and around. We're watching the water in the street, right? It's starting to flood the street. It's starting to come up onto the sidewalk. It's slowly encroaching into the yard. And we're getting super nervous that it's going to come inside. And so we start moving all the furniture up, taking it upstairs, saying, okay, it's going to happen. We just put this new flooring in. Okay, whatever, you know, it's going to happen. Thankfully, it didn't. We were okay. Now, many of you, I, I know, many of you did lose some things during that, that, that storm. Um, you, you experienced that in a way that I didn't, right? But I do know, for me, whenever I watch hurricanes in Florida over these last few weeks, or even the one that's up in the Northeast right now, I, I know the tension that they're feeling. I know what they're going through, that they're getting worried. Is this going to take out some stuff that, that are very valuable to me, things that are very valuable to me? Is this, is this going to take it out? So I understand that because I've been there. I've experienced that before. William Barclay says this about Jesus as our empathetic, or excuse me, our empathetic high priest. He says, when you've been there, it makes all the difference. I love this. Listen to this. And there is no part of human experience of which God cannot say, I have been there. God has been through every single thing that you and I experience, every temptation, every frustration, every illness, right? God has been through that as Jesus, he has done that. So when we talk about Jesus being our great high priest, our mediator, the one who stands in between God and us, we have this advantage that he is a compassionate savior. He's compassionate because he understands because he has been there too. Okay, second advantage we have because of Jesus is that we can be confident when we come before him in prayer. Look at verse 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you remember in the Old Testament passage, this is Isaiah 6, remember Isaiah's experience of being in the throne room of God? Do you remember this part? He, he gets this vision of the throne room of God, God's sitting on his throne, and the angels, the seraphim, are flying around and they're worshiping him. There's two uh, wings that are covering their eyes and two wings are flying, and their voices are just crying out saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And their voices are so loud that it's literally shaking the very throne room of God. And Isaiah could only respond in one way. He is on the ground and he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Because all he can recognize whenever he is in the throne room of God in the very presence of the Lord is that he is a sinful man. And so he is on the ground. Just woe is me. But I want you to catch this. Look at what the author of Hebrews says about the throne. Is it a throne of fear? Is it a throne of judgment? No, it is a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. 
And some of you, you walked in here and you think God's just a big bully, right? An old illustration my youth pastor used to use is he said, he's, he's that kid that's got the magnifying glass and you're the ant. And you're just waiting for him to just zap you, right? But that is not what the author of Hebrews says. He says that he is the God of grace. He has a throne of grace. So we can be confident when we come before the Lord because he has a throne of grace. And he has told us that he is working everything together for the good of those who love him. For the good of those who love him, he's working everything together for them because he has a throne of grace. Okay, so in the past, you would go through uh, this priestly ceremony every time a priest passed away. In other words, when a, when a, in the Old Testament, when a priest died, they'd have to go through the big old ceremony again where they anoint another priest, and then he's got to go through the training, and he's got to get ready again from the tribe of Levi, right? He's got to go through all this thing. And so it was a constant flow of priests, one right after the other, because this one passed away, so now I've got to have another one. Keep on coming, keep on coming. Have you, have you ever been a part of a company... Um, where you have a boss and you really like them, but then they get another job and they move away and then you have a new guy come in. And you got to get used to the new guy, right? Because you knew everything under the old guy. You knew the way that, you know the way he liked his coffee. You know what slacks he was going to wear on Wednesday. Like you knew all that stuff, right? And then this new guy comes in and you got to get used to all that stuff. Well, that's exactly it, the way it would have been under that old priestly system, but the author of Hebrews tells us that it's better with Jesus because Jesus is permanent, right? And the reason that we have an adva another advantage in Jesus is, as our high priest is that he is consistent. He's consistent. There's not going to be this thing where Jesus says one thing and then, whoo, I gotcha, switcheroo, we're going to go this way. That's not the way Jesus works, Right? What he says always will be. In fact, later on, the author of Hebrews is going to say that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's consistent. So coming to him as our high priest, our in-between, we know we're all, what we're always going to get. He's always going to be truthful. He's always going to be loving. He's always going to be filled with mercy, filled with grace. But at the same time, change us into who we need to be, right? He's not going anywhere. He's our priest and he's not going anywhere. He's not going to pass away. In fact, already done that and came back, right? He's not going anywhere. Um, you know, for some of you, maybe this is a little bit um, unfamiliar or perhaps uncomfortable because you grew up in this tradition where you kind of had to go through layers to get to Jesus, right? Maybe you had to pray to a certain saint about a particular something, or maybe you had to uh, say certain words to kind of invite God into that. That's not the way this is. As Jesus is our high priest, we can go to him with everything. And there's not a layer. There's not somebody to try to get behind or get past. He is it. The buck stops there. He is our great high priest. We don't need any other high priest. The Bible makes that abundantly clear, that Jesus is our high priest. So one of the things that's interesting is that from the text, it looks like some of these Hebrew believers that the author is writing to, they're starting to kind of argue that Jesus can't be a high priest. They're like, wait a second, he is not from the tribe of Levi, he cannot be a high priest. 
Remember that name we mentioned earlier that was a tongue twister? Melchizedek? Well, that's what the author of Hebrews does. He says, you know what? You're right. He's from the tribe of Judah. He doesn't fit the bill in the Old Testament covenant. But guess what? He's in the line of Melchizedek who came before the priestly system, before the sacrificial system. That's the line that Jesus is in. And then he makes this crazy point that was very true. You go back and you look at Melchizedek and the story of Melchizedek. We don't know where Melchizedek came from. There's no talk about his family, his lineage. There's nothing. It just says that he was a king and that he was a priest of God most high. And so the author of Hebrews says Jesus fits into that. Well, yeah, that makes sense because Jesus is king and Jesus is our great high priest. So that makes sense. Okay. Final advantage that we have from Jesus as our great high priest is that everything is complete. Everything is complete. So we've already seen how the role of the priest was to continue to offer the required sacrifices for sin. Uh, I actually had one um, seminary professor say this. I actually think I mentioned this to somebody the other day. Um, that he said, I, I just don't understand how the people in the Old Testament didn't get this. That the minute they offered that sacrifice and they stepped down from being in the tabernacle and they stepped away and they started walking home and they stubbed their toe and they took the Lord's name in vain, they needed to go right back in there to make another sacrifice. Because the whole time, God was doing something. He was pointing to the greater sacrifice. He was pointing to the greater priest that was coming, Jesus. So the whole thing was set up so that we would see and they would see there was something better, something greater coming. Now, look at chapter 7, verse 27. It says, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See, Jesus' sacrifice completes what is needed for our sins. We said that our sin deserves death, but God in his mercy makes a sacrificial system to where something else can be offered in our place for our sin. Jesus is that final sacrifice. His sacrifice covers the sins of the past, the sins of the present, and the sins of the future because he is the perfect sacrifice. Therefore, he has completed the sacrificial system. He's made it obsolete. There's no need for it anymore because he has finished it. Now, one last thing that I found just absolutely fascinating. I was actually telling Emily this the other day. Uh, as I was studying. So if you were to flip back to Exodus 28, I'm not saying you should do that right now, but if you were to flip back to Exodus 28, you see that, that God asked Moses to lay out some very particular uniforms for the priests. One of the things that they had to wear is they had to wear this breastplate that had 12 jewels in it. So 12 jewels, three across, four going down. And on each of those jewels was written a name of the tribe of of Jacob, one of the tribes, okay? And God says why. He wanted for the people, his people, to be on the hearts of the priests whenever they went in to make the sacrifice. The other thing I found fascinating is they also wore this ephod that had some shoulder, um, some stones that would go into the shoulder, like some jewels that would go into the shoulder as well. 
And they would have six names on one, six names on the other, because they were bearing the weight and the responsibility of taking the sin offering before the Lord. Here's what's amazing to think about. I just, I love this. It's fascinating. Jesus does that for us. Jesus had our names on his heart when he went to the cross. When he made the sacrifice, we were on his heart. And he was bearing the responsibility for our sin debt on him, on his shoulders, whenever he is sacrificed for us. He is our great high priest. Ah, so beautiful. Well, maybe this morning uh, you've, you've been feeling like no one can quite understand the pain that you're feeling, the things that you're going through. I can tell you with confidence, our great high priest does. Take advantage of him. Or, or maybe you've been bombarded by temptation and, and you just, it's just utterly destroying you. You don't know how to fight against it. You, you, just, you don't know what to do. And you're just afraid that as other people find out about this, they're going to be so frustrated. They're going to be so upset. They're going to think so little of you. And you're like, no one can understand that. I can tell you this morning, our great high priest does take advantage of him. Or maybe you're here and you've been going from one relationship to another and they have failed you, they have hurt you, and they have left you embittered. You're angry and frustrated at people. You don't want to be around them. You can't stand them. You're tired of them. And you're saying, there is no one that I can count on. No one who can understand these feelings that are embittered towards people. Our great high priest does. Our great high priest does. Take advantage of him. If you fit into any of these scenarios this morning, as I close in prayer, will you just quietly take those to the Lord? Will you take those to our great high priest? Will you take them to Jesus this morning? Because he understands. He's compassionate. And you can be confident as you come before him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're so grateful for Jesus, our great high priest. For what he's secured for us, for what he's done for us. That we find compassion. We find one who's empathetic, who knows all the things that we go through. All the temptations all the frustrations. God, we're grateful that you became human and can understand those things. Father, we're even more grateful that he is our great high priest, that he stands in between, that even right now as I'm praying to you, I can be confident in my prayers because Jesus made that way for me. Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here that's wrestling through temptation, that's hurt, that they would find a friend in Jesus, our great high priest. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. 
You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.